0: I want to preface this message by saying what I am about to tell you is not an apology for what I'm going to preach, but what I'm going to preach, I never intended to preach tonight. I've had my sermon ready for days for tonight, and uh, uh, early this morning, I got up about four o'clock this morning, and uh, I took care of some things uh, there at the house, uh, did some things to get lined out for the day, and then... Uh, Levi Nelson was good enough to go with me today. We had to go up the other side, across from Huntington, West Virginia, on up past Proctorville, picked up a load uh, for of supplies for flood victims, and uh, then we had to go all the way to Knox County, uh, Kentucky, and back. Then I got called out after that and got home, and I. No problem, I'm ready to go. <laughs> because I knew what I was preaching. I knew it was gonna be one of those days. Brian and I have already been up to Columbus this week to preach, and uh, I thought this is, this is great. And uh, when, I, when I'd gone down to Knox County the whole time, this was eating at me. And uh, the Lord said, this is the text for tonight. Now here's what's so difficult about this. I know that the majority, the vast majority of people here tonight, you profess salvation, and I know that you're I know that you're saved from your testimony and from your life it's it's a proof of the fruits that are there, but yet you know we're on the verge of homecoming revival, and with homecoming revival coming, uh, what is it all about? I mean really what why? Why do we build churches and why do we preach and teach and why, why do we come to church? What's the purpose behind all of this? And I, I wanna say, because I'm not embarrassed in the least to say it, I have always said that anytime the church gets distracted from the main thing, it'll cease to be a church. And the main purpose of Christ's coming to this world, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. I came into this service tonight praying for somebody that is lost to be saved. And I, I'm concerned somewhat that now the fundamental of the gospel almost seems as though that it's, it's disappearing like a vapor throughout the church world. On Monday night after the service, uh, it was great. Some of you were there on Monday night. It was just a sweet spirit there in the service and people at the altar. And after service, there were a number of people lined up just to be kind and greet me after preaching. And and I was somewhat amazed. Uh, There were three individuals that approached me from three different churches. All three of them, when I talked to them at different times after the service, all three of them were crying. And all three of them told me the same thing. They said, you know, we saw where you all still baptize people. Said, if we come all the way down to Rubyville, would you take us out to the creek and baptize us? And I said, we sure will. And I said, as a matter of fact, I've got some in the church that we've been talking to them, trying to get a date set. They watch by live stream and I assured them, we'll let them know. And, uh, but you know, that was commonplace. Now they're already saved. Don't misunderstand. They're trying to be a witness to their family that's not saved. And that's really what it is. It is a testimony of the saving grace of God and the belief in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But tonight I, I can't tell you that this sermon is for uh, the, the number that's here tonight out of the hundreds of you, I can't tell you that it's just for the masses of all of you. But I do know it is for somebody. I'm not standing here as your judge. I have no power to judge you. I cannot see in your heart. I do not know your spiritual standing with God. But I do know one thing, this church has a responsibility to get people to Christ to see them get saved. Amen. Years ago, a great preacher friend of mine, he's been in heaven probably 20 years now. I remember I was preaching in a, in a meeting with him. He pastored a large church and they, at that time they had a ladies group that met and this is no reflection on the ladies. It's just that particular group that met. They would meet on Tuesdays and he showed up at their meeting. And when he showed up at their meeting, they said, pastor, we're somewhat shocked to see you here. He said, well, I just wanted to join in with you. So they sat down and they were were to have a Bible study and they spent 35 of the 40 minutes talking about how you can make orange marmalade. And after they finished, they started to leave and the pastor said, there's something I'd like to say. And he said, there's 14 of you in this group. He said, I called all 14 of you yesterday about a lady that lives and said where she lived at, said she's had a hard life and she's unsaved. I called all 14 of you to tell you she's lost and would one of you mind to go see her? And he said, I sure hope that you start becoming better at helping people become Christians and making Christians than you do making orange marmalade. My job is not to make you feel good. My job is not to let you be deceived and die lost without Christ. My job is simple preach the gospel, and tell you, you need to know that you're saved. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, and don't worry, the introduction will probably be longer than sermon. You sure can't complain after Sunday night. I mean, shortest sermon on record, but we had a good time, didn't we? Amen, Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 12. Well, let's, let's go back. Let, let me cut this down some. Let's just go back to Matthew chapter seven. Thank you, Lord. I was gonna read the other, but I'm, I'm gonna stay in this groove. Matthew chapter seven. Let's go down to verse 13. Matthew chapter seven and verse 13. If you haven't, say amen. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And what's the next word? Few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which shall come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Well, let's think about this thing we call uh, salvation and the subject of salvation. When we talk about being saved, because I think this pointed lesson from the Lord really should be a little enlightenment to all of us, especially since we're looking to homecoming revival. Number one, let me say this. Very plainly, this teaches Not everyone is going to be saved. Not everyone is going to accept Christ. Not everyone is going to believe on the work of Christ. There are people that are lost. If you fall into that trap that is going around in theological circles now, that we are all the children of God, and somehow magically we all wind up in heaven when we die, the truth of the matter is we're not all the children of God. We're all the creation of God, but unto as many of them to receive him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. We're not a child of God until we repent of our sins and confess the Lord Jesus Christ and believe on the Lord to be saved. So don't automatically assume That just because you are of a particular persuasion of a particular uh, denominational background or you go to this church or any other church that you're automatically saved. That's not the case. Not everyone that dies is saved. Number two, here's what's sad. There will be more people lost than saved. Well, where do you get that? Few there be that find it. Everyone is not going to turn to the Lord. Folks, let's just face it, we are outnumbered now. When we believe this gospel message and the power of God for salvation, then we are now in that strange group that believes it takes the work of Christ to be saved, the death of Christ, the power of the resurrected Lamb of God to be saved. We have to believe in his gospel to be saved. We can't put a label on ourselves, or give enough money or do enough good things to be saved. It takes the Lord to save us. And there's more lost than there are saved. And when we start to see that the fields are ripe unto harvest, and we say, Lord, send laborers into the field as we pray, then we'll see people touched with the gospel and they'll come and believe and be saved. But the problem is, too many people think that being good is good enough. There's a lot of people here tonight that say, that they were good people before they got saved, but they still needed to be saved. I, I don't want to, you know, just write it over and over again. But I can't think of a better example in all of my life than Bob Teeman. Bob, you were a good friend to me. You, for years and years, you were faithful to this church. You've had a good heart, and you're in a good family. Your wife was a Christian, but as good as Bob was, he still needed to be saved. And I don't care how good you are, you need to be saved. I don't care how good your parents were, you still need to be saved. Someone says, well, I think I'm good enough. Well, if the standard is my goodness, then how much do you do to be good enough to go. You know, to try to compare salvation unto good works and good deeds or being a good person, everyone sees goodness in a different way. They'll have a different definition on what's good and how much goodness does it take. To say that I'm going to heaven because I'm good is about like saying that, that the Bengals are gonna win the national championship because we've got a good choir. One has nothing to do with the other. I'm glad you're good. I'm glad you're a good parent. I'm glad you're a good person. I'm glad you abide by the law. I'm glad you're a good citizen. I'm glad you do good things. But good people die lost without Jesus every day. More people will be lost than will be saved. And might I add this also. There will be many expecting to be saved who aren't. Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils in your name? All these great things that we've done. Lord, I'm in a great church, they do great things to help a lot of people. Lord, I've been in services, why, I've even sensed the presence of God there lord i i've been in services that i cried i've been in services where I was happy when others got saved i I go to church I do what i need I, I even read my bible I pray but they'll hear the words, even though you expect it, depart from me. I never knew you what what's that word? I never knew you. What's that mean? Well, that's the same word in the New Testament that in the Old Testament when Eve was created and Adam and Eve came together and they knew one another. It was a bond like a marriage. That's the best way to put it. The husband and wife, when they're married, they know one another. Physically then, they're involved. They share the same name they become one family it's a relationship and that's exactly what's happening here is he saying we really if you, if you do not have that relationship that you know you are in the family of God, and can I pause right here and tell you, God's people are the best people in all the world, and it's so wonderful to know that I'm a part of the family of God, and I know that I have brothers and sisters all around the world, and God has children so many places that we not see and know nothing about, but it's greater still to know I have a heavenly Father that loves me and I have a precious savior that adores me and saved me from my sins. I know that he is mine and I am his and to know Jesus and realize that he knows me, that makes all the difference. But the reason that I realize there's a lot of people that have a problem Spiritually, he tells us there's fruits that come out of that relationship. People see that fruit. And if you are in love with Jesus and you realize he loves you, then that changes the way that you serve the Lord. And what you do. Now let's let's get this right. I'm not here tonight because I have to be here. I'm not here out of obligation. I'm not here because I'm afraid somebody's gonna talk about me if I'm not here. I'm here tonight for one reason. I love Jesus. I love to be in God's house with God's people worshiping the Lord. I love that. And by the way, when you get into a relationship with the Lord, the way he's referring to here, then I think that you're gonna understand, you're gonna take on his personality and you're gonna love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates. There'll even be some changes that while maybe some things weren't bad in and of their self, you'll just find yourself loving certain things. Candy and I was talking about a couple the other day and we were kind of laughing about it. They they'd been married for a short period of time. I wouldn't want to embarrass them. I won't call their name out. But Candy said, Isn't it something? Said, we were talking to him one day. I said, Hey, do you like coffee? And he said, I used to drink coffee until I got married and said she really didn't like the smell of coffee on my breath, so I quit. That's sweet. Now that's sweet. I don't care what boy. Go ahead, ladies. Smile real big. (laughs) I I think that's sweet. You know what he was saying? I'm willing to give that up because I want her to be happy. I want to please her. I'm here tonight because I think being here pleases the Lord. I think he's pleased with that. And you know, if I please the Lord, it doesn't matter who I displease. And if I displease the Lord, it doesn't matter who I please. I've got to please God more than anything. And by the way, if you don't love church, you're not gonna last five minutes in heaven. All it is is eternal worship. And we come to church to worship. And don't worry about it, if you don't love church and you don't love uh, love worship, you'll not only last five, not last five minutes in heaven, he'll just make sure you don't get in. He'll not let you in. You have to love what he loves. I love him so much. I want to live with him forever. I want to be able to praise him forever. I want to be able to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many. Thank God we ought to please him more than anything. I need to say this as well. No one will be saved after death. No, no one gonna pray you into heaven? You'd be amazed how many people that now they're just, and I'm not, I wanna make this clear, I'm not making fun of anyone. I'm not. It is the famine for the knowledge of the word of God that was prophesied in the Old Testament. You'd be amazed how many people that I stand by the casket of loved ones and they'll pass by and they'll say, do you know why we got you for the funeral? I'll say, why? They said, we feel that you know God. Will you pray them into heaven? and I can't pray them into heaven. I can't pray you that are living into heaven. Nobody can pray you into the family of God. We can pray for you, we can love you, we can witness to you, but we cannot make you surrender your life to Christ and believe the gospel. You've got one life, and nobody in here knows how long that life is. You've got one life, to trust the Lord with and believe God with and trust the salvation of Jesus Christ and to to turn to him for salvation. One life that you live, listen to me, don't mess it up. Don't deceive yourself to think you're gonna live forever or that you have forever. You don't know how long you have. But let me go on record tonight. If this is my last sermon, Go ahead and play it back, because I want the whole world to know. I'm not worried about where I'm going. I know that my sins are forgiven. I know that Jesus is real. I know that God is not a figment of my imagination. I know that heaven is not just a pipe dream for feeble-minded people, but heaven is real. And I know there's a way to get out of this world. And I know that just as sure as I'm saved, you can be saved. That's what it's all about, knowing that you're saved. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Can you take one more? Everyone's not saved. There's more lost than are saved. Some will expect to be saved that's not saved. And nobody will be saved after they die. The last point This could be your last chance to get saved. There may not be a tomorrow or next week. We've got homecoming revival coming up, but we may not make it till Sunday. You may not make it till Sunday. You don't know how long that you have. I don't know how long that I have. My days are numbered. Your days are numbered. That's why you need to trust the Lord now. You may have heard a thousand sermons in your lifetime, but hearing is not believing. It's one thing to hear the gospel, it's another thing to obey the gospel. And the Bible says you have to obey the gospel. And tonight that's what I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do. Dr. Appleman has been in heaven for years and years. Dr. Appleman was a converted Jew. When he gave his life to Christ, After some time, his father made the trip to the big city that Dr. Appleman lived in. He came all the way to see him and he said, son, if you don't renounce and recant your faith in Jesus, he said, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get on the train and I'm going back home and we're gonna have a funeral for you because you're no longer part of our family and we no longer recognize that you're alive. Dr. Appleman was known for standing with tears in his eyes, talking about how he watched his dad get on that train and never saw him again. he said, I lost my mom, I lost my dad, I lost my family. He said, I lost all of my heritage. He said, my dad no longer recognized that I had a name. As far as my family was concerned, I lost it all. But old Dr. Appleman would take his Bible in his arms and he said, but I got Jesus and I got his word and I've got his promise. And he died clinging to the word of God. Dr. Appleman, of course, being a converted Jew had somewhat of an accent. He was a little hard to understand at times. You'd have to listen closely. And in a big meeting, and he had meetings where hundreds were saved in single revival. And in a big meeting, there was a group of young boys that were sitting three or four rows back. They'd come up front. They'd been in the back, but they moved up front. They moved up front for a reason. They wanted to heckle him, make fun of him while he preached. They made fun of him. They laughed at him he stood with tears in his eyes inviting them to accept Christ and accept his word and repent of their sins and all they did was made fun of him cursed at him on the way out the door they went down the road about a mile or two there was an accident several of them died in the car a few weeks later, one of those young boys that was the ringleader of all of that showed up at a revival. When Dr. Appleman got up to preach, he only preached a few minutes and that young man stood up and come to the front and Dr. Appleman was a little hesitant because he knew from the past experience, is he coming forward to create a problem in this congregation? But he said, when he got close enough to me, I could see he was crying. And I went down and he said, Preacher, I need to get saved. I want to get saved. And Dr. Appleman had the privilege of introducing him to Jesus. And he asked him, after that terrible car accident and everything that happened, he said, what changed all of this? And the young man said, well, Preacher, I had no problem laughing at your sermon. And he said, I made fun of how loud you were. He said, I imitated your accent to try to get a response. But he said, when I got to that open grave, there wasn't nothing funny about that. When he watched his friend be planted on a hillside, It changed it all. I'm closing with this. There's nothing funny about the fact that somebody here tonight could be hearing their last gospel message and leave this place lost without Jesus. And there's nothing at all funny about our family and friends and people in this community without Christ and dying lost without Christ. The challenge is twofold tonight if you have loved ones that need the Lord, before revival comes, you need to come and pray for them and call them out by name here on these altars before the Lord. And you need to ask the Lord, is there something I can do to invite them to church or persuade them to be a part of this revival meeting? But more important than that, I know. You say, how do you know? God's never failed me one time when he whispers into my ear and embeds it in my heart, Cal, tonight you're preaching to a sinner that I've already touched their heart and they're already under conviction. They may not show it and you may be surprised who it is because they may have led everybody else to believe that they're going to heaven and everybody else may be expecting that they're going to heaven but way down in their heart, They know when they go home and they close their eyes tonight and lay their head on the pillow, they're going to lie restless knowing that they're not ready to meet Christ.